measured by real GDP. And as GDP gross domestic product. This GDP figure. Welcome to this podcast. Today we will be talking about GDP. GDP is a very common buzzword used in discussions about economic well-being and political economy. While the original aim of GDP was not to measure well-being, GDP is often treated as an all-encompassing unit for development, progress and prosperity. In the 2020 article How Poverty Ends, Banerjee and Dufflow argue that policymakers need to remember that GDP is a means to an end, and not an end in itself. In this podcast, I'd like to develop a critical account of GDP as a measure for economic well-being, and discuss some potential alternatives. But before we criticize the concept of GDP, it is important to understand where it came from. As Kapoor and De Broglie argue in their 2019 article in the Harvard Business Review, GDP was a product of war. While the invention of GDP is often credited to Simon Kuznets, its modern definition was brought forward by John Maynard Keynes in the midst of World War II. According to Keynes, a national income estimate should be comprised of private consumption, investment, and government spending. This last element was crucial, because if wartime spending by the government would not be included in the measure, then GDP would decrease despite of the economic growth that was happening at the time. Now, it might not come as a surprise that a measure rooted in wartime production does not accurately reflect the times of peace. While GDP has a variety of flaws, I will be highlighting four concerns that might make you question whether GDP growth should be considered as the holy grail of progress. First of all, GDP does not discriminate between so-called goods or bads. For example, in the aftermath of a destructive earthquake, reconstruction efforts will cause an increase in GDP. However, this increase comes after a massive tragedy and can therefore hardly be considered as progress. In a similar vein, we might argue that the sales of certain goods like cigarettes or weapons do not actually represent a gain to society's standard of living. Secondly, GDP does not adjust for the distribution of goods. For example, while the GDP of the United States has shown a relatively steady increase from 1960 until now, the Pew Research Center found that income inequality has also increased significantly over this time period. It can be questioned whether the so-called growth indicated by the GDP presents an accurate and desirable picture of reality. As global income inequality is on the rise, and scholars have warned about the growing discontent and polarization that this might lead to, economists will have to take these issues into consideration when talking about growth. Another crucial flaw of GDP is that it does not reflect the negative externalities that are at stake. While resource depletion might spark short-term income, it also comes at a significant environmental cost. Because the costs of environmental degradation are often hard to quantify and do not have a direct sales value, they are ignored by GDP. However, it goes without saying that environmental issues such as pollution 
do significantly impact well-being. Other externalities that are not included in GDP are crime rates, traffic congestion, and product-induced health problems. Now, the last flaw of GDP can be found in its inability to fully capture the benefits of technology. The internet has greatly incre increased the convenience for consumers. Web pages such as Wikipedia provide free information and people can now book flights from the comfort of their own couch. However, many of these, these services that are now available online used to be provided by a paid GDP producing employee. And because GDP does not assign value to goods with a price of zero, the benefit of these free online services are not taken into account. And so GDP's disproportionate focus on production does not pay tribute to our modern online and service-based economies. In response to the aforementioned critiques, many scholars and policymakers are looking at ways to redefine economic growth and develop more inclusive indicators to measure prosperity. The first alternative to GDP, called the Gross National Happiness Index, was created by Bhutan in 2008. This GNH looks at nine different variables, including health, ecological diversity, psychological well-being, and good governance. Another suggested indicator is the UN's Human Development Index, which includes health and knowledge on top of economic growth. The latest leader to move away from prioritizing GDP was New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. In 2019, she announced that New Zealand would adopt the Happiness Index metric. Followed by this announcement, the Prime Minister launched a well-being budget that included a $131 million increase for services aimed at survivors of domestic and sexual violence, as well as a housing program for the homeless population. In a press release, the Prime Minister stated that she hoped their choice would lay the foundation for a different approach for government decision-making altogether. In the next few years, we will see how these new initiatives and indicators will take shape. But for now, we can conclude that modern economies deserve an accurate and inclusive measure of welfare that pays attention to all the things that citizens truly benefit from. And as we've heard, when it comes to GDP and development, sometimes less is more. Thank you for listening to this podcast.